we watched helplessly as council after council degraded our ancestral river. Longest river in this country, 467 kilometres from its source on the slopes of Ruapehu all the way down to Port Waikato. Today on The Detail, a subject so controversial it could lose an election. Iwi have said helplessly and we have never had any say at all in its operation, in its management, in its, in its, um, in trying to uh, develop a plan that could address the core issue, which is how do we improve the health and well-being of the river? I'm Nikki Mando, business editor of newsroom.co.nz, and for a while I've been bemused by the furore, nay the fury, around co-governance. Healthcare, three waters, the funding of scientific research, who sits on the Environment Canterbury Council, you name it, the idea is now that there are some seats reserved at the table uh, because of your background being Maori. Now that is a real problem. The fear around co-governance from some quarters, and it's not universal, comes from it being unknown. People don't know or they think they don't know what co-governance is, and people are afraid of new things. Christopher Luxon says the government needs to explain exactly what co-governance means. It is going to drive division, and that's a government responsibility to sit, sit, come here and actually say exactly what it is and what it isn't uh, and how it works in practice and why. These concepts are not new, and these concepts are not to be feared. It's not an and-and. If you have some seats reserved at the table that you can't vote for, then you have public institutions that are not democratically accountable, and that has the potential to be catastrophic for New Zealand. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins appears to be hedging his bets talking to Jack Tame on Q&A. Is it democratic if you and I as non-Māori do not have the same level of representation as Māori? Oh, look, I... I, I you're kind of dealing with a hypothetical. Do I think the three waters model is democratic? Yes, I do think it is democratic. Explain to me am, how... Am I, am I committed to keeping it exactly as it is? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not drawing a line in the sand and saying Explain it's going to, to stay me how, exactly how it's the same as it is. Well, it's, it's, every, every local authority will be represented there. Mm. Māori people will be represented there. But it wasn't just the politicians throwing in their two cents worth. Everyone I met had an opinion, often a pretty strong opinion. But hardly anyone, myself included, seemed sure what co-governance actually was. What did a co-governed organisation look like? How did they make decisions? How did they resolve disputes? And was it successful? So I found seven organisations, from schools to councils to conservation bodies, which actually ran using co-governance. And I asked them, how did co-governance come about? What happens? And most importantly, does it work? For Māori, what they're interested in is making sure that uh, the, the, their places, their history, their culture are there forever. And that makes better decision-making. When you, are, you have that layer of thinking and, and reminding, being poked and saying, just make sure you're doing the right thing, it's a good thing. I've never seen our community so committed, uh, and these are corporates, these are farmers, these are community people, these are marae, marae people, hapu, iwi, for the first time were galvanised uh, with one purpose. Having the co-governance, the balanced voice at the table, uh, makes life a lot easier, and um, it, it really helps bring 
that iwi perspective into all of our decision making, not not just a one-off um, long-term view, but but everything we do. You could almost see people thinking, ah, I hadn't thought of it that way. One of the co-governance pioneers I talked to was the Waikato River Authority. It was established as part of the Waikato-Tainui Treaty Settlement in 2010 with the main aim of cleaning up the polluted waterway. Tukuroirangi Morgan was one of the original co-chairs. So the way it works, equal numbers of iwi, equal numbers of Crown representatives at the table. No voting. It's all down to consensus decision-making. So unlike these councils that scrap and, and disagree and, and, and have extreme views, here we have two co-chairs, both of us, from different worlds, marshalling our, our, our two sides. Never have we ever had to go to a vote. Every issue we talked, there were differences, and where there are differences, we talked and talked until we came to a consensus decision-making. Nothing about power here. This is about collective decision-making. This is about every member, five on the Crown side, five on the Iwi side, doing what was best for the river. Not for our respective selfish motivations, but it was doing what is best for the river. Did you have to really fight to get co-governance into that settlement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no one... Uh, the councils, councils hated the idea of sharing power. And in fact, I remember going into the meeting before the night before we signed uh, the deed of settlement on, this, on the banks of the Waikato the River in Aruwaia. You could slice a knife through the air. And when I had five mayors sitting in the room. All of them hated the idea of sharing power with Māoris. I said to them, the winds of change are blowing. You can't turn this back. Why do you think they were so frightened? Uh, their notion of sharing power... Uh, they've got this crazy notion that actually the, they always use this use this uh, this thing about democracy. You know, democracy prevails in this country. Well, yeah. The, 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 for me, the democracy in very simple terms for Māori is, is the tyranny of the majority. Uh, so the net effect of the tyranny of the majority is that Māori will always be on the side. We will not be participants. For the purposes of our treaty settlement, we were very, very clear to the government. We need an equitable say, 50-50 split down the middle. The Crown, iwi. Whoever you make up, whoever represents the Crown, whether it's corporate, councils or whatever, that's your, that's your business. But well, what is clear, that on, on one side of the table will be five river iwi and their representatives. And we will have two co-chairs. One from our side and one from your side. We signed the deal. Did you ever think you wouldn't get it? No, 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 uh, no, the, the, this was a Was it the bottom line for you? It was, it was inevitable for us. Um, all we had to do was convince the, 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 the government and to, to the credit of uh, Sir Michael Cullen, he saw the sense in a much more equitable situation. It it's the first time in this country that we've seen it. Bob Penter was on the other side of those treaty negotiations, senior Crown-appointed advisor to the River Guardians Establishment Committee. When the Waikato River Authority was set up, he became its chief executive. Fifteen years later, he's still there. When I look at the debate going on now, 
the most heated debate is around water. What are you thinking? For me, co-governance has been a wonderful governance tool. It's, it's completely turned on its head the role of iwi in key decisions on natural resources. And we've seen that that's added enormous value to um, the role of uh, river iwi in our, in our case. Um, and also the quality of decisions that have been made because um, we have iwi right beside us assisting reaching those decisions as a decision maker. One of the one of the advantages with working with iwi, um, which I've done for, gosh, more than two decades, is there's a real long-term view that's adopted. And it, it's not short-term gain. It's, it's a long-term, long gain that's been um, looked out through that lens of intergenerational prosperity. Having iwi at the table made it a much easier conversation because that was the lens that they immediately brought to the conversation, which is there's always going to be a river and we need to ensure that we're able to do this job in perpetuity. There's always going to be an opportunity to further restore the health of the river. That doesn't end when our funding ends at 2037. So what do we do to ensure that our funding can continue? And that was what we what we came up with um, as a as a co-governance board. From a co-governance perspective, I think the um, way that decisions are, are made by the, the merits of the argument, the ability to not rush into a, a, a show of hands, uh, and oh, it's it's um, it's six six or seven seven. Oh, well, I'm, I'm the chair. I'm going to use my casting vote, and let's get this over, and let's move to the next item on the agenda. You know, that's fundamentally different in co-governance, where we do have to at times pause um, and work through issues a, a, a little bit uh, further than perhaps what we might have in, in the normal sense, and invariably that results in better decisions because they they're far more weighted, they're far more considered. Sometimes a decision might be parked on the table and we might go away and do some further thinking and, and come back to it later. Does that mean so that different... the meetings are really long and maybe tortuous? I don't know. Is it a much more, much longer decision-making process? You know, it, it's quite funny that um, I participate in board work, co-governance and, and traditional boards, and I don't find the co-governance approach adds any any further time. It's just a slightly different way of reaching the decision that, that's made. And so, it, you know, with quality co-chairs, um, we could have a co-chair that will come in and they'll say, um, Bob, you know, what time do you think this meeting's going to go to? And I'll say, well, you know, I think it could go till four o'clock. And they'll say, oh, look, I've got something at 3.30. I think we're going to land at three. <laughs> <laughs> And you know they'll 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 pace the board to to you know reach the decisions that are required in that time and and you know the the thing with co governance is you, as I said before you really have to have good people around the the table that can operate you know at that pace and and be able to work collegially with one another. I think the concern was um, well I know what the concern was the concern was that we had this co governance entity that seemed to have um, these unheard of powers with this unheard of status for this new document called the Vision and Strategy or Te Piri Whaimana or Te Awa or Waikato. And, you know, the Regional Council at that time was particularly concerned that 
its role was going to be, I guess, um, overridden by this new entity that also seemed to have uh, responsibilities in relation to waterway health and wellbeing. And speaking of waterways, the big elephant in the room that's put co-governance firmly on the election agenda, three waters. So Cabinet has determined uh, that there will be four uh, water entities and those entities uh, will be made up of uh, a number of councils sitting alongside mana whenua groups. Six from local authorities, from the current local councils and six from uh, iwi. Uh, that just does not seem democratic to me. Water is something that everybody in New Zealand uses and needs and why Māori should have uh, special access or special privileges around the use of water, I just don't get. I mean, this is all about democracy. What we're saying to our council is don't hand over $685 million of three-water assets to the government without talking to the ratepayers about it. 13 years after the Waikato River Authority was set up, Tuku Morgan is a strong advocate of co-governance models for the Three Waters Reform. He's recently been appointed head of the Iwi Representative Group for Entity A, the largest of the four water bodies. And he's not pulling any punches. What makes me really angry is that they will continue to, to, to trot out this nonsense about Māori having a power grab. These are the very councils that run up huge debt who can't control their, their, uh, their, uh, their operation and their spend, and then they talk to us about power grab. You see, co-governance was always about decision, uh, uh, sharing decision-making. What you're saying about what happened at the beginning of the Waikato River Authority is just sounding so like what's happening now with the Three Waters, except maybe even worse... You oh, I, I, I think what what this is, you know, this is blatant racism. Actually, this is more than, you know, at least in the beginning when we when we embarked on this journey of co-governance during our settlement, people actually turned their minds to it. At least there was a measure of interest. Whereas with three waters, there is a complete disregard for the Māori voice. Uh, there is a total denial. And so um, that is a major problem for, uh, for people like me because I've seen the fruits of co-governance. So why is this happening? Why is... The National Party were the ones that did the settlement, the Waikato River settlement, yeah. and now suddenly the National Party, act, the farmers, the councils... Oh, this, this is about politics. You know, this is about... This is about the political machinery having a go at a government to, who have had the courage to take something successful and put it in a situation where actually it'll bear fruit, where, uh, where the outcome will be positive for everyone. And so for me, the, the, this is not about the merits of co-governance. This is a straight-out political attack on the government. I've moved up the North Island, away from the Waikato River, to Tamaki Makaurau, where Western Springs College, Ngāpuna o Waiōria, is also run on a co-governance model. The school is actually two schools on one site, the Mainstream College and the Te Reo Māori Immersion Kura. But there's a single board structure, 
which brings together the two principals, plus student, staff and parent representatives from both schools. It's a big board, 16 people, but all decisions are made by consensus, not majority voting. And behind everything, ti tiriti. That was in response to the notion of the treaty being a partnership, that irrespective of numbers of people or whatever, it was a, it was a partnership. And we, we talk about walking side by side, hand in hand, wakahorua, double hull canoe, all of those metaphors describe the relationship. So it was never one of um, majority rule. This is Ivan Davis, principal of Western Springs College. Titiriti or Waitangi doesn't talk about partnerships, let alone co-governance. But for him, running a school along treaty principles means consensus decision-making. If we are committed to a treaty partnership, as we are as a nation, it has to be a partnership and not, well, actually, there's more of us, so you guys don't, sorry, we're the majority, this is what we're going to do. Pa Chris Selwyn is the Tumuaki, or principal of Ngāpuna Uwaioria, the Māori language kura at the school. He says co-governance developed gradually. There's never been an overnight sensation. So, um, you know, similar to Pantene, and that's what I say, um, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. So it has been a very long process and a long journey, from my perspective anyway, has been a natural development of working towards mana motuhake and our own authority to be able, and determination, tēnoranga tiratanga, to be able to do that. And I think that's what's been recognised by the, by the board and by the kura itself. Selwyn argues the school's academic success is tied to its co-governance principles. The percentage of Western Springs students with NCEA Level 1 or above in 2021, the latest year the government's Education Counts website lists results, is higher than the Auckland average and significantly higher than the all New Zealand figure. And there's virtually no difference between the performance of Māori students and their Pākehā counterparts. In fact, in 2021, Māori students outperformed the average for the school as a whole. You're saying that this, the success that you've had as a school would not be possible without co-governance? I'd say so. When you hear... What's co-governor has now become a such a political football. term, football. When you hear that, what do you think? It it saddens me, if I'm being honest. It saddens me because of being here and knowing what can be achieved through co-governance, um, and we, or, or the the journey, the pathway towards co-governance. You know, like. Um, yeah, it, it saddens me that you know people are trying to blow it out of the water when it has such potential and such possibilities there in terms of um, outcomes for both Māori and Pākehā. Does that make you optimistic about spreading it further now? Oh, very much so, very much so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and that's why it saddens me when I, you know, when people just sort of go, it's not, um, it's not, it's not the norm, you know. It's not going to work, you know, get rid of it, yeah. Well, we're showing how it can work on a day-to-day and a managerial and at a governance level as well. One criticism of co-governance is consensus decision-making is just too long and unwieldy. Getting everyone onto the same page will take forever. The board meetings, 
too long. Here's former Whangarei District Council Mayor Cheryl Mai, who adopted some level of co-governance during her final term in office. There were times when there were there were fiery debates and and um, very firmly held uh, positions as well in both our council elected members and um, our hapu partners. However, there was a genuine desire to find a way forward that suited everybody. I asked the Western Springs College leaders if that complaint ever comes up. That the board meetings are too long. Yes, yes. many times. Yes. <coughs> um, and they are too long. <laughs> but that's not necessarily anything to do with co-governance or the fact that 16 people are sitting around the table. It's how you organise the business of the meeting. And we now have a, um, a, a board chair that's pretty focused on um, delivering purposeful meetings with a, with a fairly strict agenda and a, a fairly um, managed um, process of going about things. It'll take time. Some meetings are longer than others. And would you get rid of something that's so successful or has such outstanding results, I'm going to say, um, would you change that just because of long meetings? Why would you change something that's working so spectacularly? That's it for today. I'm Nikki Mando. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Phil Benj engineered this podcast. Alexia Russell and Sarah Robson produced it. Thanks to Tuku Morgan, Bob Penter, Ivan Davis, Parker Selwyn and Cheryl Mai. Kakite. Ka